piece of advice I have for someone trying to succeed in the film industry or any creative space is if you're doing what everyone else is doing, you're doing it wrong. Welcome to Around the Craft Table, a podcast about movies, making movies, and other stuff. <laughs> Hey everybody and welcome back to Around the Craft Table. I'm your host Miranda Morose and I'm joined today by my fellow filmmaker extraordinaire William Klippenstein. Hello. We've been away from production for a while on a bit of a hiatus as it were but we're back and here to bring you season three of the podcast to continue to explore movies, making movies, and of course other stuff. So season three. Wow we're here. We're here. How did we, we get it. here? <laughs> well, first we had season one, and then we had season two. That's true. So That's very true. Now we're on season three. Well, to kick off season three of the podcast, we are joined today by local filmmaker Matthew Van Ginkle. Hello. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> it's going pretty well. Yeah. How are y'all? We're doing pretty good. I mean, yeah. Honestly, you know. The climate we're living in right now is... Oh, yeah, the weather's great. A bit, uh, yeah, the, it's gotten a bit warmer, actually. Finally. And, um, yeah. <laughs> Before we uh, start off the episode here, we're just going to take a quick look at a clip from First Session by Matthew Van Ginkle. So, Matt, you've just completed a new short film called First Session, Mm -hmm. um, which uh, was provided funding by the RBC Emerging Filmmaker Pitch Contest in 2019, right? Yeah, that is correct. Okay, and that's through the Gimli Film Festival, for those who don't know. Um, They do this um, collaboration with RBC, and they help fund a film, and the budget that they give is 10000 Yeah, they give you um, $10,000 in in money for for the actual production of it. And William F. White came in as a sponsor and uh, gave you $5,000 in services and gear rental for their grip and lighting. Oh, that's awesome. Do you want to give us a little bit of a rundown about like what your film is um, and kind of tell us a little bit about the film and what kind of inspired you to start this project and, you know, inevitably take it to the pitch contest for a larger budget? So First Session is a short horror film that I pitched at the Gimli Film Festival, as we mentioned earlier. Basically, the story is about a guy named James who confronts his his inner demons as a part of a therapy session he chooses to partake. I wanted to reflect how an ordinary-looking person, like someone who looks completely normal, might, uh, someone who you wouldn't give a second glance to might actually be suffering on the inside. So I took that to an 11 on like the twisted face monsters that he would encounter in the film. Basically uh, resembling how like how much someone might be suffering on the inside, whether that would be with 
mental health or mental illness or mental disability where basically the film just introduces the the struggles of that and it's only a short five minute thing so it only highlights the struggles that someone will go through rather than the general okay a character has this issue that comes up and resolves it by the end it this is just a short short uh, short project that just introduces it to the audience okay sweet so yeah you talked a little bit about um mental health like what specifically inspired you to um deal with that subject matter for your film well for well personally for um what gave huge inspirations for for this project was um my upbringing with autism personally where like growing up going through school was a little bit of hell going through a struggle but with this um so that was kind of like my inspiration coming into this project however i didn't like for a short five minute thing where i didn't have a whole lot of time to explain or to narrow in exactly what our main character deals with i left it pretty much opened that anyone who's struggling through school or or just through life can somewhat sympathize with the character and so like my interpretation of the character would be would be he's he's going through a mental disability and he's struggling through school but someone else who watches it like i've shown this to a couple of friends they took it as anxiety they took it as depression where the main focus of the film is just someone who may appear normal on the outside might be going through hell on the inside were there specific themes that you wanted to cover um, aside from mental illness in the film? Like, obviously, the genre plays with, like, a lot of different, like, kind of borderlines on horror, thriller. Were there other themes that you wanted to tackle in conjunction with mental illness? Well, I'm, I've recently started getting into, um, like, horror filmmaking. That's sort of the, the genre I'm branching off into. So I thought it would be an interesting take to go in that horror like in that horror direction with like the the horror comes from like the the mental health aspect or or how scary it is to to confront whatever inner turmoil you may you may encounter or you may have to deal with so that's sort of like the approach that i went off yeah um but again this is only a this was only like a short five minute film so, <clears throat> so unfortunately, there isn't a whole lot of time to explore. Not to say that that was an excuse. It was very deliberate, deliberate to like deliberate, like the, the purpose of the film is just to kind of show a small window into what a normal looking person might, might be going through where as, uh, as you kind of kind of realized there Miranda where you had no idea about my upbringing you just thought I was a normal looking guy yeah exactly yeah so I kind of want to reflect a little bit a little bit about that but like when I watched the film like we all watched it earlier today like just hearing about that layer of like your you know your personal um relationship to this subject matter um enhances my my take on the film and so I just find that interesting um, that, like, you grew up with autism, so that kind of influences how I view the film as opposed to having viewed it, not knowing that before. And now I'm thinking 
of like some of the things and I'm like, oh yeah, like, so it's just an interesting layer to add to it, I think, for sure. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that you put into the film or are there themes in the film or or things that you, you chose to include that maybe a person um, who doesn't have autism wouldn't, wouldn't notice or, or wouldn't understand on the same level that you would or someone with autism would? I, deli- I deliberately left, like, exactly what the main character had. Like, just super vague, no explanation to it. For being on the spectrum, no, it's it's sort of like snowflakes in the sense where there's no no identical snowflakes, where my experience might differ from who might grew up with that mental disability. I think the best way to describe it is my interpretation of the film was the characters going through autism but someone else who watches it would have their own interpretation as anxiety or someone else would think of that through depression and that and that makes a lot of sense because uh like i'm i had my own interpretation of it as well um i viewed it as someone who's struggling through school but was found solace in his or found help like within like his friend group and like that sort of thing. And, um, despite all these demons around him, he still found the strength to like fight back against his, his anxiety and that sort of thing. So, uh, I really, I really liked how the film was open to interpretation in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And especially like, as, as, as mentioned before, there's, there's almost never two identical cases. I just I decided to leave it up up into interpretation, so then that would create a closer connection between them in the film. The one thing I really wanted to to talk to you about, Matt, but like before we get into like the actual production side of making this film with your crew and cast, I wanted to talk a little bit about the pitch and about actually the act of pitching in front of a jury to then be one of I think it's one of five correct that that gets that get to receive yeah. funding and I, I kind of want to hear like a little bit about like what was your experience with pitching had you had more experience prior um, and you know what was it what was it like getting to work with um, that funding for you we kind of excited to hear about that a little bit uh, to uh, to sum it up in one word, it was exhilarating. Now to elaborate on that, uh, so uh, my previous experience, I like I, I grew up in Winnipeg. That's where I found my inspiration for for film. But I moved out to Vancouver and went to Vancouver Film School, and from there I honed I honed my craft in filmmaking and I learned a lot about the producing side of things more importantly I learned a lot about pitches and making your pitch package ready for whatever grant was available so I did have some minor previous experience uh with with that with the realm of pitching just only on a minor scale like the this uh Gimli Film Festival RBC pitch was the was the biggest thing like was a big was a huge test for myself so i enjoy doing a lot of graphic design like just fooling around on photoshop so thanks to that i made my package made it super super beautiful in a disturbing way to reflect the horror aspect of the film submitted that in 
and I guess the the pre-jurors or the juries, I'm not too sure who 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 decided the finalists in that competition. But they liked my package, so I got a pleasant email just saying I was one of the top five finalists for the RBC pitch competition. So when I got the news, I had about a month to prepare. So every day I would practice my pitch. I would time myself. I only had... So to get perspective for this competition, you would only have three minutes to present your present your pitch, present your story, why they, why you should receive the funding, and a five minutes for Q and A from the jurors afterwards. So okay, so pretty pretty condensed. Oh yeah, it was great. <laughs> <laughs> it was exhilarating. Uh, yeah, so I practiced for for weeks. If I wasn't practicing my pitching, I was fixing my script and that was a huge like practice makes perfect practice 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 which really helps because for because whenever I got I go on stage I'm not necessarily the greatest on stage so sometimes stage fright comes into effect but since you've since, since I've been practicing so much there were a couple moments where I froze but I just went through instinct just because I practiced so much instead of freezing on stage. So you get this funding and you're, you're just like, oh my gosh, like so overwhelmed. Like I, you know, I get to make this film now. I get to make this film with, with a budget, with like a substantial budget compared to probably the kind of money that most people coming out of film school are used to having. And you're kind of like, okay. Now I got to like do the rest of the movie. <laughs> so uh, how was the process of like putting together your cast and crew? Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Like were there specific people you sought out um, or, or did you do a lot of, um, did you do a lot of calls for roles and stuff like that? Do you want to talk a bit about that? Yeah. So basically my, my philosophy is I can't do everything I'm not the smartest in all the departments, so my so my goal for this project was getting the right the the right people for the right job. Where I want to make sure I had a good cinematographer, a good production designer, a good editor, good producing team, like essentially getting all the necessary people on board to help uh, help lift the the burden off my shoulders. So one of the biggest uh, assets that that helped me along was I brought on, brought on board my friend Sarah Simpson Yellowquill as my project manager, where she helped a lot with the paperwork and helped find the location of the school that we end up filming in, and basically made my life so much easier. So I can focus a lot more on directing rather than having to worry about the producing paperwork. And direct, because that would uh yeah, that was nightmare. That would have been nightmarish to do. Yeah, it's so important to have a good production team that can help support you, like not only like on set but in pre-production, especially. Yeah. You know, taking what you've already done and just helping you kind of manage and enhance that. So my priority was getting key crew members filled into the position. Yeah. So I managed to get my DP. A former classmate of mine from VFS, Mia Chemicon. She was 
really talented, made uh, made the movie look really spooky. Uh, I also got Madison uh, Summer Duak as my pro uh, production designer to essentially set deck and costumes and ensure everything looks looks spooky and the production value of it look really really high. Well, like at at the beginning of the production, those those two roles, well, those three with with Sarah were the most crucial for for the amount of prep that I needed to go into, just for pre planning and making sure we have everything that we need. And from there, it was I left it up to Mia to be like, okay, go get your team for go get your cinematography team. I know a couple people in case if you if you're looking for people. And same thing with Madison, I let her grab her art team and basically left her to her own devices and that trust paid off because the I like to think the film looks pretty pretty amazing might be a slight bias with my with my voice on it well that's one thing Will and I were talking about earlier was just the production value like how um impressive it was and how like consistent it was like the color the production design the costumes the the special effects like the um the monster design was really neat yeah i um i really like uh like the camera work and and the and the just the color overall i really like how the red pops throughout the entire movie um and everything else is really really drab um and yeah the lighting really really got me um i thought the lighting was was fantastic and just all the technical aspects i thought were, were just really really well done well, I, thank you, and I know uh, Mia and Madison would would love to to hear your praises on that. <laughs> um, yeah, so basically the, the 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 look of it was very important, but the other aspect that was also very important to me was sound design. That was probably the part where I looked forward to and dreaded the most, just because. Audio, I mean, audio in, in any film is is make or break, but in horror films, it's detrimental. We were able to get good, good, um, good, clean, clean audio on set, and a buddy of mine from from Vancouver, I, I hired to sound design and compose the the music. Did uh, I'd also say, you know, a little bit of bias, but I say he did a pretty fantastic job. The sound, not only just like soundtrack, but the the ambience of the sound and the design was also what what stood out as one of the film's strengths in my opinion and yeah like i just in totality i think we will probably touch on this a little bit later but i want to get to one more question before we go to our break um i just kind of want to talk to you a little bit about like working with a budget um this large in relation to sort of what we might be used to having but in like relative terms for films in general um, $10,000 is micro budget. Like it is a small budget, um, by like film budget standards. And so like they kind of say more money, more problems. That's kind of like the phrase they put around. Do you feel like you might agree with that statement as opposed to some of the films you'd made earlier in your career? And, um, what was it like working with, um, such a budget of this size for you? Uh, well, to sum up in one one word, it was uh, exhilarating. But, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> exhilarating. Um, but yeah, there is um, there there is some some truth to that. Where 
more money, more more problems in, in that sense. However, I was very um, confident in myself and confident in my team that we would it, it would only be an issue if the if we didn't deliver the film or the film flopped on its own. That but getting there was the scary part. Um I guess uh I guess working with a budget, like working no budget is a lot I guess easier in the sense of not having to worry about accountability from other people. Where if you if you screw up on a, on a no budget production, then then all all you're disappointing is, is yourself since you're you're the one most likely investing any money into it. Where if if let's say the this project didn't turn out turn out great, then I feel that people at RBC and Manitoba Film and Music and other people might not be as pleased, but fortunately that's not the case. However, it is um like I'm I'm always striving to to go do a, do bigger and better projects, and with that, I would need to encounter what it's like to deal with a larger budget and being being able to handle the stress. All that come uh, that comes with it. So I think this is this was just like the necessary step in my career for for whenever for when I go and do let's say a feature film in the future did you feel like um there was a specific department that the the funding went towards more than others like would you say that labor was the most expensive uh section of where your budget was going or were there other sections of the budget that were um a larger draw well, labor was pretty expensive, but I, I kind of knew that going in. Yeah. Um, I would say I would say the two most expensive aspects of the film, just off the top of my head and not not looking on my on my budget offhand, would be uh, the union actor fees and the location permit. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Be- well, for the, for the location permit. Um, apparently in, from what I've, from what I've heard in recent years, since more and more film productions have been filming in town, I think the school divisions kind of caught, caught wind that they can make a lot of money on that. So unfortunately I kind of had to pay a a fraction of, of my budget, which is a bit unfortunate, but it was worth it for the location. And... With Actra, we had a total of seven performers, two, like one with the therapist and the main character, and five for the different monsters that we had throughout the film. So that got a little, uh, a, a little pricier than than anticipated, but I believe it was all worth it since uh, we got really good performances. Um, we were like insured and covered since. We were dealing with stunts, and in case of anything were to happen, we wouldn't uh, we wouldn't be in trouble. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. I actually have a story of dealing with uh, trying to film at a public school. Um, it was <laughs> they. I definitely think that they found out that they can make money from it because I was I was trying to location scout for like a student film. This was like a couple years back. This was like probably four three or four years back now um it was we just wanted to use the outdoor playground at a uh public elementary school during the summer so it was literally like off season 
Uh, we just wanted to shoot in the playground, uh, like a brief scene with some child actors. And the principal seemed down, like everyone in the faculty there were like super easy to talk to. But then when I got to the division, they were like, yeah, it's going to be $1,000 per day. Oh my God. To, yeah, that sounds right. To like shoot on the playground. <laughs> and I was just like, yeah, uh, this is a, this is a student film. This is a very low, like we have no money. We're hoping to just get the okay to just be there. And in hindsight, sometimes it's like, well, we could have probably done it without even asking, but now we can't shoot there because it'll just look really bad. You know what I mean? Like, because we were <laughs> like the 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 crew is quite young, and and uh, it might have just gone by as some kids running around with cameras because we didn't have like extravagant lights for this one or anything. But I was just like floored by the price. I was like, ah, you do understand? Like, I'm with the U of W, right? Like, <laughs> this is a student thing. Yeah. Okay. Maybe yeah, maybe that, another that time. Sounds a- <laughs> That was like my experience, except I didn't have a student film attached to it, so I was kind of left it left uh, left out there. <laughs> well, for me, it didn't matter. It was like, oh, you're a student film, a thousand dollars. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> it was absolutely nuts, but yeah, like um, obviously you needed to shoot in a school, so you had to make that um, make that sacrifice to your budget to like get like the right location. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was a compromise, but I was I was smart with my budgeting, so we were able to make make everything everything fit. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's kind of like a good introduction and a good place to like take a quick break. We're gonna go and like get some water, chill a little bit, and we'll see you guys back here in a bit. are back from the break and we are still here with matt van ginkle talking about his film first session hello so like during the shoot and even through post-production do you have any things that you uh experienced during the duration of the production like challenges or maybe some takeaways that um you feel like are gonna influence your um your career as a filmmaker moving forward from this film well, I'd, I'd, I'd say time is, is always your enemy, even if you think you have a lot <laughs> yeah. of it. <laughs> but that kind of that kind of goes without saying on on any project. 
Um, I'd say that this project overall kind of helped strengthen my resolve in filmmaking, where as long as you have a solid script and you you plan the shoot and shoot the plan, it should all come to fruition. What was like writing your script like? Because um, your film is, um, I would say, very light on the dialogue. Um, so what was your like writing experience like for it? It was a, uh, a very lengthy process, in all honesty. Um, I sort of like had the had the idea about having a character going into their or someone else's subconscious to help resolve any like inner or mental turmoil that might occur. Like the the idea was was there to begin with and I knew about the RBC Emerging Filmmaker Pitch Competition and the one of the re- requirements for that grant was making a film under five minutes. So I thought I thought to myself, okay, can I make this concept work? If I couldn't, then I would have done a different concept and who knows if that would have gone selected. I definitely was a lot more passionate about this project moving forward for obvious reasons, as mentioned before the break. So I kind of sat down and thinking and thought to myself, what can I do? How can I introduce this whole world in such a short time? Like how, how am I going to structure this? So one of the early writing lessons that I, that I learned or, or remembered from back in, back at, in one of the film classes at the U of W was if you were going to introduce a problem, then most likely it might, it will probably get resolved at the end. Like if it's a huge, big, complex issue, like let's say, you know, for example, someone was, was for example, suicidal at the beginning of the film and comes to term with it by the end of the film, then over the course of the future film, it'll be more easy to flesh out the character, explore different themes to get to that point. But if you were to do that in, let's say, like a four or five minute short film to go from that journey from not being okay to being okay, that would be a monumental task that would just ultimately fail. So the approach that I took was I just wanted to introduce how someone who appears completely normal might be facing a desperate struggle on the inside and just kind of show a, show a slight window into it where, as the name implies, first session, it's the character's first therapeutic session where he gains some success by overcoming one of the monsters but there's a lot more that surrounds him before, before he leaves that, that mental world that he's in and where we would have that scene with the therapist afterwards. So basically uh, introducing what's been going on rather than trying to go on this complex character arc that would take a future film to justify or, or satisfy, satisfy it. I'm, I'm really interested in uh, like just the world uh, that he enters in the therapy session. And I guess we kind of like had a like a question we were thinking of when we were um, when we were watching earlier just about that world. The the scene at the end is the only 
I mean, direct conversation we see in the entire film, and uh, and it's it's a little bit it's it's a unique situation um, <laughs> where the, the protagonist doesn't actually really say much, even though throughout the film he, he kind of says a lot just by like what he's doing. Um, but the therapist kind of says all we really need to know about the situation that he's in. But then afterwards. Um, she leaves, and then she looks as if she's nervous for her next appointment. So, um, what is it, what's going on uh, with with the therapist? There does does like does the story expand beyond just this one film as far as the characters go, um, or or what 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 is going on with with that character? I'm actually really uh, really intrigued that. Um that uh, you guys um, are bringing this this aspect up uh, so quick 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 answer um, for for that question is basically to kind of reflect essentially to um, to put it lightly it was uh, it was a strenuous effort to like it, it must be a strenuous effort for any therapist to to handle handle um like patients who are who are going going through through a lot and and funny enough there was actually that scene was actually supposed to last a bit longer where um basically originally we would have James a character he would leave and then Shortly afterwards, the character would actually cough a bit, little bit of blood, go get some medication, then sit back down before the next patient, next patient comes. And I was wanting to wanting to use that as a jumping off point, as a mini proof of concept for for a possible feature feature length project of this concept, but. Unfortunately, it didn't. Uh, it didn't flow too well, or it was too ambiguous as to what it meant. Which it was supposed to kind of reflect how much of a struggle on the therapist's end would be to deal a patient with with a lot going on. So, and unfortunately, that extended part was didn't make too much sense. So we kind of shorted that. But I guess, uh, but it. But we still kind of want to show a little bit as to how much of an effort it was on her on her hands, like where she was a bit exhausted or and a little bit nervous for the next patient coming in. Is there um? I guess I I, I can only I can only wonder if there is like something relevant about the patient that comes after because their entrance and then the door shutting behind is quite an ominous image. And I wondered if that was intentional. It was. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I I kind of left it ominous, implying that the the next patient that kind of walks in would go through a similarish experience as to what the pre like what our main character has gone through, where that other character would have their own inner demons to to deal with. Uh, I. Actually, I wanted to raise like another another point as well on that, um, and I I just want to say I think the 
and now that we've been talking about it more, the the scene with the therapist looking nervous fits in with the whole theme of, of the of the film overall. Because like you said, it's about you can have a normal looking person, quote unquote normal looking person on the surface, but under the surface they could be going through who knows what. And in the scene with James and the therapist, like when they're talking, she looks perfectly fine. Um but uh but then he leaves and then suddenly she's nervous so it's we it's it's a little it's a little more um it's a little more I don't I don't I don't want to use the word clear because it's it's it doesn't quite describe what I'm trying to get across but it's a little more we can see it a little bit better in in that character in in a sense because it's like she's clearly showing one face to James and then she's nervous and then immediately after she kind of puts it aside and, and moves on. And that actually brings me to another question now as well. Um, was, now that I think about it, the the shot of the therapist talking to James, she's on the right side of the frame, but she's looking to the right. So we have this empty space on her left. Can you tell us a little bit about that shot and what it means? The anti-frame? Yes. Uh, there were there were two reasons two reasons behind it. Uh, the first one is I kind of wanted to create like a sort of a like disconnected feeling where let's say in most normal movies, whenever you just have coverage on two characters, you would often leave some space in front of the character in, in the framing and you like the character would be sharing similarish comic ground. And, but in this case, even though the therapist is trying to help, there's always, like, even though someone else is trying to help, they might not always fully, I guess, understand what might be going on, even though they're trying to reach out. That's the first reason. And the second reason, I just love me my anti-frames. <laughs> it definitely... That's a great reason. <laughs> it definitely <laughs> communicates, like somewhat of a disconnect or somewhat of um like that just general uncomfort when you have space on the side of the frame like that and so i thought that was a really Good. interesting choice and i and i and i applaud that choice because i love anti-frames as well um and i saw it and i was like i bet this is this is very intentional um wow. <laughs> um do i guess we kind of touched upon this a little bit earlier um, do you have, and maybe this will be redundant, and if it is, like, we can always edit it a little bit, but do, do you have, like, oh, a... Oh, you'll fix it in post. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you have, like, a desired takeaway that you hope your audience kind of walks away after viewing the film, or are you kind of hoping that they take away potentially a variety of different things that you're kind of leaving it vague? Was there, like, an intention there for you? I just want people to listen. That's really about it. Um, I del I deliberately deliberately left it vague, just like for for the reason why I didn't fully outright explain exactly what James is going through, just right. the fact that James is going through something. And if let's say an audience member is going through X issue and they see that in James's character then I believe that would create a stronger connection between the the viewer and the and the film. Um 
Oh, do we want to talk about the monsters? Ooh. Yeah, um, <laughs> the spooky monsters. Those monsters were were really, uh, really, really creepy looking, and um, it's, it's, it's they were they were unnerving, and they but they fe they felt real, nice. and um, what inspired you? Or what inspired you and and your crew to come up with with these monsters? Like, where where did the idea come from, and how did you create those costumes? Well, it was a huge um, creative collaboration with a very very good friend of mine from Vancouver, uh, Nicole Dreyer. She's a very very talented makeup and practical effects artist. That I asked if she was willing to come fly into Winnipeg in in early January to shoot this short film with me and she was uh thankfully I'm thankful that she was uh eager and crazy enough to say yes so uh at the beginning of the project I've always had twisted face like it just always that was always prominent but when I was tr trying to develop the story it was it was still kind of vague as to what they will end up looking like. So Nicole did... So um, she she really helped out with coming up with suggestions as to like what her take of the project was, and we were able to kind of collaborate at an overall end look for them. One of the reasons uh, why we decided to go with... this. So basically the monster, like the monster look was... Nicole used a combination of a white morph suit with a bit of prosthetic makeup and a bit of, I don't know what entirely what she what she used. She she she, she can she made him look pretty and ugly, and I and I loved it. Um, yeah. So I guess just more suits, prosthetics, and paint, and a little bit of straight hairs here and there. I'm pretty sure that's that's all she used. I love how you went with um, with 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 makeup like with a costume with like a real physical piece of equipment over something like cgi because if i picture that same monster in cgi it's it's just not it's not the same um i i like seeing practical effects in in films and i i really like that this one was was a practical effect and i like how it fit in with with the film overall um and and i i just really like that choice and and how it and how it turned out and just all the different monsters across the whole film they were all just they're all very very cool yeah there's mm -hmm. there's something unnerving about um practical effects done well and the distortion of like our human form i think that that really can get under your skin more so than I think CGI ever could. Yeah. yeah. I've always been like a, a, a really huge fan of practical, practical, blah, practical. I, I know how to talk practical effects <laughs> in, uh, in, in films as such, you know, personally, I, I love CGI and, and all that. Like, I think it, you can do extraordinary things with VFX. However, given with the budget and, I don't have a whole lot of experience working with VFX. Not to say that I was going to do the actual animation itself, but there's a lot that kind of goes into making sure that you're 
light up the right way or you have uh, the right setup that you need to on on set which would have been a gray area that I have no, next to no experience working with and to do something with that on a bigger budget with with sort of stakes involved what I knew that would not end well so part of the reason why I chose to fly Nicole in from Vancouver rather than trying to trying to find find someone local which would have been cheaper to save on on fly costs is because I knew that she was able to do it at such a low budget where she has a wealth of experience with with doing um, makeup and practical effects to make it look convincing that with the right cinematography and and the color correcting at the end it all kind of came together and I'm very happy with it but that's my own yeah. personal bias as to absolutely <laughs> sometimes you have to make those like expenses to bring in the crew that you just can yeah you know trust and 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 that you know we're going to be able to pull off yeah. what you what you're looking for I mean that's I mean it's not to say that there there isn't anyone here that that couldn't have done that it was just <laughs> Nicole was a person that I that I worked with multiple times in the past and I knew that she can do the job and and I can collaborate well uh, well with and kind of going back to what I said earlier in the podcast where it's just finding the right people for the right job and to essentially find the right person, trust that they'll do a good job and it should all come together just like with cinematography, just like with production design, just like with sound. Uh, makeup was the same thing. I trust Nicole and... Uh, she did a fantastic job. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess we're kind of nearing the end of the episode, which is like so surprising. Um, but I I wanted to we we always try to ask our guests before we kind of finish off um, interviewing them um, for them to define success. Like Matt, what is success for you? How do you define success? I'd say getting recognition to be more on the, on the, I, well, like I've, 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 I've heard this, this question kind of asked what is success where it's for me, it's, if I'm happy with the project, that's, you know, that's, that's obviously a, a huge factor with, with first session is something that I'm very, very proud of that. I think it's the best thing that I made, but I think it's ultimately more important as to how it, it's going to get received in its festival distribution stage and if it gets selected into good places and it gets recognition from there then i would call that a success well matt i want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast today yeah this thank was... you guys for having me this was uh this was a blast yeah this was super fun to learn about your film and is there um are there plans for the film when it's kind of in its, like, obviously the film is complete, like it's got a picture lock and everything at this point because we've yeah. seen it. Um, but are there plans for a release date? Is it doing a festival run? What are your plans moving forward for it? Yeah, so um, basically my, my plan for it at the moment is to do a festival run with it where uh, thanks to the RBC Portrait Filmmaker competition, it will get a premiere at Gimli Film Festival. Um, 
I'm not too sure what's going to happen with the festival with the with the whole COVID-19 shenanigans kind of going on. But um so yeah, it's going to get a screening there and we're and I've submitted to a bunch of other places which will be announced on it's on the Instagram account that I made for it just for session film. That's where we're going to advertise any any places it's going to get screened at or any festivals it's going to get submitted to. Mm-hmm. And I'd say probably, like I'd say maybe over a year, it's going to get released publicly. But we're going to see how how the festival, festival distribution is going to work out first. Sweet. Well, if anyone listening wants to check out anything about the film, um, we will link all those social media accounts for the film first session and for Matt, um, for your personal accounts as well if you want to send us those links we can put them up in the show notes and stuff so people can check it out um where can they where can people find you online are you on uh vimeo instagram where do you kind of tend to market yourself the most Uh, your work i would say um my instagram account just at filmmaker mad would be the, good the the best way to 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 stalk your homeboy. That'll probably be the the best way. And from there, and, and and in the bio would be a link to my Vimeo account. And my Vimeo account is just my regular name, just Matt Van Ginkel. All right, sweet. Well, um, thanks so much for coming on, Will. Thanks so much for coming on and helping me host today. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Thank you, Matt, for coming on. Thank you, Miranda, for um, having me. Of course. Okay, so um, if you want to connect with uh, Will or I, um, our links will be in the show notes as well. And um, thank you so much to everyone for being a part of this today. Um, we will have credits to follow after the music that you're about to hear right now. And we're signing off. Have a great day and happy quarantine. Later days. <laughs> oh. Bye. I hate myself. Hey, it's Miranda from the Around the Craft Table team, and you've just heard Season 3, Episode 1, Exhilarating, a post-mortem analysis of First Session, a film by Matthew Van Ginkel. This week's episode was executive produced, directed, and edited by Miranda Morose. It was executive produced by Miles A. Taylor. It featured myself and William Klippenstein as hosts with special guest filmmaker Matthew Van Ginkel. We're pretty excited for you to hear all these conversations we've had and hope to spark some new conversations about filmmaking within your own circle of friends, collaborators, or just in the comments section. Find us on iTunes, Google Play Music, Spotify, and most third-party podcast apps as well. Connect with us on social media at ATCT Show, or just send us an email at crafttablepodcast at gmail.com if you have any important questions or requests. We'd love to hear from you. Bye-bye.